Welcome to Digitally Creative. I'm your host, Vincent Prari, and joining me this week is my good friend, who's a little bit strange. You might call him a little bit weird. He is also known as a weird guy. It's the one, the only, Jeff Stein. What's going on, bud? How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing today, Vincent? I am doing wonderfully. I am doing wonderfully. Life is life is but a dream. <laughs> As well, I get early down the stream. <laughs> you know, to be to be young and in love, the whole world becomes rosy colored. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that's a pretty good way to put it, actually. We um for those of you that aren't following along, well, I don't know how many people I've mentioned this to, or I don't know if I've said it on a prior episode, but Kathy has officially moved in, so um, I am no longer living alone here in the um, in the basement of solitude, and it's kind of cool living with someone again. Like it's 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 nice. It was it's a bit of an adjustment, but it's it's nice. I, I'm digging it. <laughs> so, well, when you're in with the right person, you 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 fit together instead of you know cramp into space. Yeah, and I think that's I think that is exactly how it feels. And I was we were talking about it over the weekend. It's like, oh wow, it's been like two weeks, you know, and it doesn't feel like weird at all for us to be living like it's just like, oh no, we were kind of spending all of our weekends together anyway. And now we're just spending a couple of extra days on top of the weekends together. So and we've been doing that. We've been you know, we started dating in February, so we've been doing that now for almost eight months. So it isn't all that weird, but you know what? This isn't about me. How are you doing? Because I, I am very, very, very excited about, um, well, a lot of things that you're working on, and we'll talk about all those. But I see you have um, a new pal in the um, in the menagerie. Um, yeah, there's lots of new pals in the menagerie. I, <laughs> I think uh, I think Clampasaurus was around when I talked to you last winter. Mm-hmm. He's- uh, yeah, but he's keeping Rosie company back there. <laughs> Rosie is, Rosie is, I mean, Rosie will always be, because for those that don't remember, Jeff and I got our, we got the exact same CNC, very close to each other. Mine is in storage at um, Big Al Schultz's basement. And Jeff's is, you know, still doing amazing things. And he used that to make, at least partially make Rosie. So... Man, I should probably finish her one of these days, but I got I, I got stumped I on the arms and then I got distracted by something shiny. <laughs> no, you Dude. got distracted by something shiny? <laughs> I, I do have a piece of hose that was intended to come out of her stomach, go through her hands and act as the Rosie doing the vacuum. <laughs> and I, I was going to route the hose down to where the dust collection went. Mm-hmm. but then I never figured out how to put her arms on. And then I stopped using dust collection because I didn't care. And I don't uh, feel like it makes that much of a difference. I mean, it's still, even with the dust collection, even with the V2 boot, it was better, but it's still, I don't know what it would take to get good dust collection on that particular machine. I know the newer ones, Wesley was showing it in his newest video, Wesley treat, and it's like the the pro doesn't make any dust. I don't know how, but it doesn't. But I feel like ours is just like, eh, it's better, but it's still dusty. Well, part of it is, is 
I'm not plowing through sheets of plywood and mm -hmm. I'm not carving into a bunch of MDF where I really want the dust collection on that. Yes. Yes. But if, if I'm working on small, intricate projects made out of maple and walnut, then I get a little bit of walnut dust on the floor, maybe a foot in front of the machine and the rest of it pretty much stays on the tabletop. So I have gone with, uh, you know, I'll quote Corey from Odyssey CNC who said, I don't collect dust. I just set it free. And <laughs> I, I've decided that that's, that's my official motto. I mean, that's the way I've lived anyway, but now I've got a good descriptor for it. And that, that just works. I just set it free. I, I got a shop vac. I'll pick it up when I'm done. When I had, um, when I had Corey on, because Corey, I had him on last. I'm pretty sure I had him on the either the beginning of the year or the very end of last year, somewhere around there. And we were talking about the cyclone which is right. for those of you new to the world here, that is a rotary CNC, a three axis rotary CNC. I want to say it is a three axis um, that he was building and he had just started sending out beta units. And I remember talking about one of the beta units going to Jeff and I was just excited to see what you did with it. And since you've gotten that, since you got that machine, the things that you've been pulling off with it, like I, there was the initial like, oh man, I don't know what's going on with this or why isn't this working? Why? But you've settled into a groove with it and watching what you've been coming out with has been absolutely fantastic. So what was the, you have, your knowledge of Fusion 360 is outstanding. Um, so knowing that ahead of time, what was it like adapting your workflows and your processes to get, um, get results with a rotary CNC because I don't, you had never worked with one before, I'm assuming. So, what was it like working in a completely different paradigm like that? Well, I think in three dimensions in my mm -hmm. head. So, I can think around in a, in, around in a loop or around in a circle as well as I can from top, bottom, and left and right. So, it wasn't a huge change for me to wrap my brain around the way fusion handles it, but the, there were so many problems that were more like we don't have a post processor that's specifically made for this kind of machine. So the post processor we've got, we have to check boxes to change things and go in and, physically edit the extra dimensions because it it this post processor is made for a five axis i believe mm -hmm. so it's gotten it's got not only does it have the x y and z programmed into it but it has the a b and the c programmed into it so i have to go in and manually remove the b and the c from the code every time i generate it so i mean it's it's little things and i mean Corey and i have both been kind of winging it and figuring out how to do fusion on this machine together um mm -hmm. so i mean there, there's more learning curve in trying to get the the the, the paths weren't very user friendly uh, they just recently came out with paths that actually have 
depths where you can say, I want to carve out this area, start here and go to here, and it'll go eight passes deep and generate all of those for you. And But when I started, that didn't that path didn't even exist. And I still don't use it half the time because it doesn't work <laughs> half as well. I, I haven't figured that path out, and I'm still doing things manually. But it is what it is. And, something uh, tells me. Something tells me. Given the option of somebody doing it for you or you doing it yourself, you're going to lean more toward doing it yourself anyway. As much as I know you, and I think I know you pretty well at this point. I think that's more more Jeff speed. Is I can do this, and I want to do it myself. Yeah i I like doing things the hard way. Uh, I like to give myself extra handicaps and hurdles and challenges because, I mean for me to do something easy, that's not rewarding. You know, I, I need to do something that I find difficult and challenging, or I'm not going to get that dopamine hit of reward for accomplishment because Mm -hmm. I don't feel a sense of accomplishment for tying my shoes in the morning. So I also don't get a sense of exhilaration because I've mastered pockets and contours. So I have to ramp things a little bit. And that's the mentality that's gotten me to where I am now from where I started the CNC three years ago is that, well, I did the pockets and contours last time. What can I do this time that makes it a challenge for me? And then I'll add on double-sided carving. Mm-hmm. And the next time I'll be like, okay, well, I've done that. What else can I do? Well, maybe we'll try doing some inlay or, you know, maybe if two sides isn't enough, we'll carve it from four sides or five because I'm extra. But, <laughs> and it, that's, that's why my stuff is crazy today is because I'm never happy doing what I was doing last time because I already figured out how to do it last time. I need to challenge myself to make something more complicated again because I already beat the last level. And when you're constantly struggling to level up your game and you also manage to find a niche that you really like to work in, then that really puts you in a place where people look at you and go, how the hell did he do that? (laughs) You know, a lot of people, uh, it's interesting you say that because a lot of people, I feel like they pay lip service to that idea where they, they, they say they like to challenge themselves and they say they like to learn new things and they say they like to struggle through figuring something out and they say they like to do the next new thing. But then a lot of people kind of get stuck in ruts where they're really comfortable and they kind of stay there. I know I'm one of them. I mean, I do learn a lot of new things. I try a lot of new things, but for the most part, I'm always staying in my comfort zone. In fact, the only thing that's dragged me out of my comfort zone is not having my wood shop temporarily. So it's kind of like, oh, I have to figure out other other products to make, other things I can sell, other things that might be attractive to people. And you know how hard, because you've seen some of the stuff that I've been working on. I've been working really hard on coming up with new product for the website so that I can do it kind of all in one big dump and do it kind of the traditional way that 
you know, other people, other content creators do and see if maybe that's the, the secret. Like put this all out there and say, hey, this is today's shop update. And then next time this is a shop update. I know you had an idea that I am totally adopting. We've already talked about it. Um, and I think I've mentioned it on here, but you you suggested you had a very good suggestion of doing um, a T-shirt of the month type design club thing, which I think is an absolutely fantastic idea. And I have enough designs to actually make that work. And that's all stuff that's outside of my comfort zone. And it's the only reason I'm doing it is because I don't have a choice. That has to be what I do. But other than that, I would still be just making cutting boards and lasering stuff and cutting acrylic and saying, oh, I'm challenging myself, even though probably not really challenging myself at that point. So, but I, I do appreciate how much you say that and then you actually do go out and challenge yourself and push yourself and try to come up with something new or an interesting, interesting project idea. Well, if it's if I haven't tried something new or learned something new or tried to figure out something complicated, then it's not rewarding. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it, it, it tends towards repetitive to, for me. You know, I just, that's not what I want to do with my shop time. I, 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 the reason I have so much fun with the CNC is because it's, complicated as hell and i compounded that by using the least sensible piece of software available i mean (laughs) don't get me wrong it's extremely powerful and flexible and allows you to do everything but it's i mean if you want to do a cnc and you want to make amazing things right out of the gate go buy yourself aspire Go buy Vectric Aspire. It is made for CNCs. And right out of the box, you can be doing inlays and all kinds of other, you know, reliefs and 3D stuff. And it makes it, it's it's the Apple version of CNC software. It's user-friendly. It's made for somebody to plug it in and, and make signs. Fusion, on the other hand, is... It's it's much more flexible. It's probably more powerful, but it's also the most confusing and complicated and overcomplicated. But I like that because that makes it more difficult for me. It's in- That's interesting because I can actually speak to that. First of all, I'm just going to say up front, I've never had any luck learning any of the Vectric software. It makes no sense to me. I had VCarve Pro. I had um, VCarve Desktop. I tried learning it. It made no sense to me whatsoever. But then I see Al using it, and it's like, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense. When you watch someone who knows how to use it, use it, it makes a lot of sense. But it made no sense to me. But it's funny you mentioned that about Fusion because I've, I'm not going to be renewing my Fusion subscription. I'm pretty sure that if I don't renew it, it's just going to drop down to a free subscription, which is fine. It's probably all that I need at this point, because obviously without the CNC, I don't need the cam anymore. And if you don't need the cam, there's really no reason to pay for Fusion if you don't need the cam. No. Um, and even to some extent, you can even get the cam for free. There's all kinds of they're not they're about as clear as mud with their pricing on Fusion. But I started playing around with FreeCAD. Because I had heard so much about it and I never really gave it a fair chance, except a long time ago, I tried and I was like, this is terrible. I went through the tutorials and after going through the tutorials, I made Kathy, um, she has a vape pen that she uses 
and I made a pretty nice little stand for it. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, this is actually, it's actually more constrained. It's more specific. It's more exact, but it's also easier. Once you learn the parameters that it operates in, it's actually easier to use than Fusion. You just have to learn the parameters that it operates in. It's not as flexible, but it does everything Fusion. I wasn't able to find anything I could do in Fusion that I couldn't do with it. It's just you have to learn how to operate in a very rigid set of parameters. It's more of a traditional CAD program than Fusion is. Uh, I took a look at uh, something else called Desk Proto. I don't know if you've Ooh, heard of that one. I've not. Um, they are a very reasonable cam software that you can oh, wow. plug in 3D models and do three axis carving it's got rotary available um hobby license was like i think it was under 300 bucks i think it was 200 and something for yep. a lifetime 248 euro so yeah that's about was that that's about 300 dollars. yeah yeah i think it was about 300 bucks and that's that's an that's a you own it not a yearly thing and it does rotary um, yeah, this is fantastic. I'm looking at it now. Like, this is powerful stuff for the price. Holy crap! That was actually that. That's actually what I started with while I was waiting for Corey to get me get get me the help I needed to get started on the fusion. You know, we didn't I, until I get a post processor and stuff. I couldn't even look at it, so I started with the Desk Proto for a while. But it was doing something weird, and I don't know why it has something weird to do with the controller maybe but it, it would go around and every time it wanted to turn around it would go around like it would turn completely an extra 25 rotations and then it would move over and it would go 25 rotations back the other way and I'm, i don't know what the hell it was doing but i i got frustrated trying to figure that out and then i got fusion running and i just haven't made it back but it looks like a really good software. I'm guessing if I had a normal rotary controller instead of whatever I've got in here, that uh, might be better. And it, it looks like it works fine for three axis stuff too. Yeah. So, if you do it, if you were to throw that on Rosie, it would probably be pretty good. I mean, the software that comes with the software that comes with the carbide, the um, carbide create, which comes with all these, um, the machines that they make, the Shape Oco line of machines, is actually very good now. It's not the amateur training wheel stuff that it was when I first got it. Even in just the couple of years I've had the machine, the software has gotten way, 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 way better. But I imagine that, yeah, if you do something like this there, that would be pretty awesome software to run to run Rosie with. That's I like this. I'm looking at it now. I'm watching as we're talking. the The demo video is is looping on the homepage, and I'm looking at it out the corner of my eye, and I'm like, "Wow, that looks really easy to use." <laughs> like it, yeah. it make it seems to make sense, which is scary. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to try it on the three axis here at some point, but you know, I've got so many things to do, and I'm arms deep into fusion so badly that it's it's so hard to pick up my head and do anything else is well i got two i got two pieces and i can't show them on camera but i got two pieces of client work that is modeling stuff in fusion 
And one of them, I literally, I think I showed it to you, the other one that I did the other day, and I said this was more exact than anything I'd ever done in Fusion before. But I actually right. have, I'm looking at it now, because and what made me think of it is I see my notepad on my desk in front of me, and the notepad has all the measurements that I took. And I realized I took probably about 20 different measurements for a very, what's a, I mean, you saw the piece. It's a very simple piece, but I took like 20 different measurements and then I did the sketch and in the sketch, everything is constrained and dimensioned and there's nothing floating and there's nothing that isn't anchored to either the axis, the origin or another piece that's already dimensioned and locked in place with a constraint to keep it. And I was like, I was, I finished that and I was like, this is the most I have ever worked on a single piece. And it, went the smoothest because once I had everything constrained correctly, which that's a whole other thing, but once I had everything constrained correctly, even as I made changes, everything just shifted over and moved. Like I changed angles on some stuff and I changed the angle and everything just shifted over. The length of a line changed. The angle over there changed. This changed in relation to that. And I was like, wow, I finally understand why you go through all this hell to set all this up because when it's not so much for your first run, like if you get it right the first time, it's not necessary. But if you have to make changes later on, it's a whole different ball game when you do everything right and do that all that setup the first time. The only thing I have left to do on this before I see my client again is I have to actually parameterize it now, like to so that he can just go into the box in Fusion and just change measurements to change the dimensions of everything. Cause everything is so constrained now that just changing measurements won't break it. And that makes me really proud. Like that was a major accomplishment for me. And that's why you were the first person I wanted to show. I'm like, look what I did, man. Look what I did. This is so perfect. This is so perfect. Like it doesn't look like much, but I started working on, it. I realized how complex it actually was. was like, well, yeah, that was a, it was a very complicated object with some weird, Weird, weird curves and stuff too. yeah so yeah i mean I, I i was pretty impressed that 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 came out you i saw the picture of what it was and the picture of the model and i think that you you nailed that it was um, it was a, it was a major like i got to show the one person i know who would appreciate this more than anything else i had to show yeah. it to jeff i'm like <laughs> this is once i get jeff's okay that this is a job well done then i know i did a good job on it <laughs> Yep. No, that was a good part. And uh, oh, I can't wait to see how that turns out for you. Yeah, I'm working on another one now that I'm completely stumped on. And then I told I actually told the client, I'm like, listen, you've kind of hit the outer limit of my skills. And then as I was chatting with him, I'm like, wait, I actually think I know how to do this. Like as I'm talking, it, it hit me like, no, try this instead. So once we're done and I get this podcast edited and ready to go, then I'm going to go back to it. And I think I actually know how to get it done this time. And I'm kind of excited about getting to play with it. It's weird. I'm getting excited again about doing design work for clients, like whatever the design work, either it's, you know, flat 2d stuff and illustration or, you know, modeling parts in 3d, or actually I can show this now, this, this bad boy, which Henry posted the reel for, so I can actually show it on camera now, but this belt buckle, that's my design. And we are in the process of working on, I'm going to have 25 of these for my, um, for my shop before Christmas. Um, he's hand casting them and it's my design. And we are very, very excited about being able to offer those to makers. I am 
over the moon about how it looks. I can't even believe I'm holding one in my hand. It's so cool. You know, I think you told me about this when you were designing it, and Mm -hmm. I saw him post that buckle like last week. Somehow I had not connected the dots. (laughs) (laughs) And if actually, if you look at the back, it says HMVF and HT. So it's Henry T. Davis and Handmade by Vincent Fry. If if people haven't seen this yet, you can go to he has a real I'm probably I think I I added myself as a collaborator, so you should see it in my feed also. But it is um HT one Metalworks on Instagram. He posted this and yeah, I can't believe this is a real thing that I'm holding in my hand. He does such beautiful work. Like this is incredible. The fact that this is done with like Petrobond and poured brass. But this was something he approached me. When did he come to me? He came to me somewhere. I think it was around, I think it was around March. And he's like, Hey, I I have an idea. Here's what I want to do. And I was like, okay, so what are my constraints? He goes, you have free creative license. And I was just talking with Abby, how much I hate when people tell me that. And it's funny because I hadn't gotten this yet. Um, But it was like, it was a major project for me to be able to be a part of this collaboration with him. And I love the way it turned out. So. Hopefully, hopefully I can find a belt that I can attach it to for Maker Camp. <laughs> yeah, having a belt that'd help. Yeah, I I think we know people that make belts though. Yeah, unfortunately, it's Maker Camp is this weekend, and I hadn't thought to ask someone because I thought I had a belt that it would work with. Turns out I don't. So um, now I got to run. Probably going to run out because Kathy's going to be away this weekend. Um, so I think Saturday is going to be running around to different stores trying to find a belt that I can put this on. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's a real thing. So that's coming to my store soon. But, you know, just talking about how excited design is getting me now, like I'm doing a lot more design, illustration, product. I'm even doing freelance product packaging for a company. And it's kind of like, wow, I'm, I'm doing the digital part of this. I'm being digitally creative. <laughs> well, it's appropriate. At least you're on yeah. brand. Very on brand. I've actually thought of changing the name of my company or creating a secondary company called Digitally Creative for the design work and stuff because it does kind of fit that I can make presentations with the Digitally Creative name as the company name. So I'm thinking about doing that and turning this into more than a podcast brand because I kind of like, even if the podcast falls on its face, which I hope it never does, but even if it does, I can turn it into something else down the road. So who knows? Never know. Well, I I don't see it falling on its face. As long as you still have the motivation to record it, you'll, you'll, and I think if there's like six listeners out there, you're going to sit down and record the damn thing anyway, because I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're totally right. I, you know, I I've heard that there was something about writers. Um, I think it was in a Heinlein book. It was something about how writing was a, a worse addiction than alcohol. That once you started writing and putting your feelings out and putting things out and creating stories that, it was a sickness that you could not stop, even if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. I think podcasting falls underneath that category. I, I think that you are hopelessly addicted to 
spewing out your opinion to the world and sharing it with people, whether mm-hmm. they want to hear it or not. And I don't think you can stop if you had to. You, I you did may, stop and you I could lose interest in the to- <laughs> You could lose interest in the topic and mm-hmm. you'll pop up six months later doing something completely else. Just like Because We Make wasn't your original podcast. You switched that from, you were a political podcast back in the day, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and you you got out of that because of the level of toxicity, but you found a new topic, you found a new subject, you found a new interest in life, and then you resumed spewing your opinion out to the public unstoppably because that's what you have to do now. I don't think you could stop if you wanted to. I, 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 I don't see it as much in myself. You know who I see it in? And it's interesting because, you know, getting to know Kathy has been a very interesting experience for me because she's, she fits exactly what you just said. She is driven in a way that I'll be honest with you. There are times where I doubt that I am as driven as she is. Um, But seeing her, hold on one second, hold on one second. They're doing con- if those if you hear noise in the background, I apologize, but they are doing um, street repaving a couple of blocks over. I just want to make sure it's not my um, lawn guys. And we're back, and it's my jerk neighbor who has nothing better to do but blow leaves at three o'clock on a Monday afternoon. So we're all good. Um, well, you just can't let them lay where they fall out of the tree. That's unnatural. It's unnatural. How could you? I always, you know, I had in my prior house, I had a half acre, a quarter, which was actually usable. And in the wind, in this, in the fall, I would never touch the leaves on the lawn. And my lawn was the nicest on the whole block. And people were like, I don't know what you do to your lawn, but it works so well. I was like, what do you mean? Well, you know, like do you, do you, do you, do you pour stuff on it? Do you feed it? Do you like, it's grass. Like, you know, grass grows in a lot of places in the world that aren't lawns. Right. And, it's like, well, you water it every day. I never watered. I don't even have a hose. And it turns out that, believe it or not, Jeff, and I know it's going to come as a big surprise to you, buddy. When you let natural fertilizer stay in the ground, the grass grows better. I, I, <gasps> no. Really? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it, it's almost like the leaves decompose and provide nu- nutrients to the soil to replenish things so that the grass can pull those back out it's It's like a cycle cycle there yeah (laughs) it's like a cycle of ecology kind of like a system of ecology i wonder if they have a name for that a system Hmm. of ecology like it almost i would call it like an ecosystem you know i think i just coined that i don't think anyone's ever heard that term before we should um patent that i don't know i i like it we'll put it in the dictionary (laughs) put it in the dictionary submit it to the the dictionary tonight i'll put it in the dictionary tonight it'll be there by the time people hear this on wednesday but I was I was saying I was saying before before I got cut off just to make sure because I don't need dirt blowing in my apartment. Um, I think Kathy is a good example of exactly what you said. Where I watch her do her radio show, and she is super dedicated and super religious about it. Like Wednesday night, eight to ten, that's what she's doing, and she prepares from seven to eight just to make sure that she has. You know, she knows the direction she wants to do. She doesn't just play songs like everyone thinks a DJ just plays song and some do. 
but she actually has a, a method to how she picks out and she makes sure that her songs go together and they kind of lead into each other effectively. And then, you know, when she, even when she takes requests, the requests kind of flow into each other. She doesn't just play the requests all disjointed and weird from people. Sometimes she'll break up somebody's requests if they can batch better with other requests. And I watched that and I'm like, wow, that takes a lot of, you know, dedication and love and attention that, you know, some people, they don't have it. They just do it because they like to do it. But she's driven that way. And it kind of motivates me to be religious about recording. Like when we were setting up to record, she was eating lunch and she's like, Oh, it's almost two o'clock. And she took her lunch and she went back into her desk so that we had the room to record. And it's like, wow, you know, this is like, she, not only is she driven with what she does, but she, she kind of drives me to be more driven and regimented with what I do. And it's kind of a, kind of a good system, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you may not see it in yourself, but think about when you stopped recording a podcast for a couple of months, then that, that, that itch started scratching at you. It was like, oh, I feel like I need to do this. I'm, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I have to. And then you reinvented the podcast and here we are again. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's, you, you don't feel addicted until you try to go without it. Addiction is felt in the withdrawals. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was, you know, when it really hit me and I've told this story, but it really hit me at maker camp when people bumped into me and they were like, I really miss the podcast. And I'm like, man, I need to be doing this again. Like, and then it started coming together as an idea and then the logo and then, you know, talking to people at maker camp and tell, you know, setting up future recordings and telling people I wanted to record with them. So we should schedule some time together. And I'm planning on that's going to be a big focus of my trip to maker camp this year is lining up guests. I mean, hell, I went to RetroCon in Philly just, you know, to, to, ha- to just have some fun. And I ended up with the next guest who was supposed to be the guest this week, but his schedule kind of got screwed up on him. So he's going to be the guest next week. But it's just. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're, and you're right. It does just become a thing where you're, it's almost an addiction. I think the people that enjoy doing this are going to always enjoy doing it, no matter how many people listen. So, exactly. I think you're stuck with podcasting. (laughs) I, I, you know what? This is, this is what I do. Like, and what I've also been happy with is that I've kind of managed to make the video is starting to overtake the, the audio downloads on some episodes, like not every episode, but some episodes, there's more video watches than there are downloads of the audio and i'm like oh okay this are those is those the ones with guests that are hot chicks just curious. no no honestly they're not um <laughs> you know <laughs> dave dave would hardly be called a hot chick um but that episode with him was very popular relatively on my youtube channel as opposed to the audio download, the audio download didn't get anywhere near the traction, but that's because he tagged me in a community post on his, on his YouTube channel. And it's like, I think this is where I need to be. This is where I'm finding my audience on the YouTube channel. People are watching the retention's decent. Look, not everybody is willing to sit here and watch a one hour episode on YouTube, but I've watched the viewer hours are climbing like a lot. People are watching this on YouTube now more than they're listening to it on Spotify slash audio. So I'm perfectly happy with that. I, I'd almost rather that be the case. 
And it seems to be more of a trend. I mean, making it started video last week, and I, I don't know if I'm going to have time for that or not. The, the the catch of it for me, I like watching people talk about stuff like that, but mm-hmm. the amount of time I have for audio content and the amount of time I have for video content are they're not the same places and situations. I agree. I, the, the, the audio works really well for me when I'm in the car or mm-hmm. when I'm in the shop and I need to put my headphones on to drown out, drown out the tool noise anyway. Mm-hmm. But none of those situations are really good for, you know, watching an hour podcast on video. I, I sure. can't do that in the car. I can't do that while watching. Well, I guess if I'm just watching the CNC run, I could probably watch a video, but yeah. um, the CNC is a way more interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, once you watch it go back and forth, 748,000 times, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying it, it's not interesting because it's still amazing every time to watch it go around. But if, if you're running as, you know, project that's got 40 hours of carve time you can Uh, probably watch a video podcast somewhere in the middle of that but you certainly can't while you're uh, cutting and planing and sanding and doesn't really work well totally i actually it's funny because i i always thought that that was just me being all amateur hour like when the glowforge would run i would almost everything unless i was really in a time crunch it would pretty much come to a halt and I would watch the Glowforge do its thing. You know, when I was running Tweaky on the few jobs I used Tweaky on, letting Tweaky do its thing, you know, it was always a thing that like, I like to watch the machine do its magic, but yeah, I'm also not doing 40 hour carves. You know, I'm not Al. Al does the last project that he and I worked on together was hours and hours and hours and hours of carving. And, you know, even watching one component of it happen, it was like, wow, that is a lot of like, I wouldn't be able, like, I would just have, get nothing done if I was sitting there watching that machine go for this right. you know, 14 hours and to do one side of a thing. It, it's amazing that the watching the robots, whether the lasers or the printers, if they go fast enough or the CNCs go, they're super amazing to sit and watch when you're in person. But if you're not there, nobody somehow real time is the one way that people do not want to watch a robot work. <laughs> no, I mean, too, I, I could true. put up, I could put up CNC video of this thing carving in real time and nobody would care. If I want to make it interesting, I either have to go with time-lapse or slow-mo. Those mm-hmm. are the two that really pick up the eyeballs. That's where they really look good on film is doing things really slowly because you watch it carving around in circles and throwing chips in slow motion. That's just neat. Mm-hmm. And it, the time it lapse, never gets old either. And the, the time lapse is just where you can watch in just a matter of, you know, 30 seconds, you can watch a block of wood morph into a cool part and a shape and a piece of something and it's like that's a cool transition that you can watch it just change right in front of your eyes quickly even though it took me three hours of patience for that to get there 
but the rest you get to enjoy it in 30 seconds because that's <laughs> what the attention span is for, good for these days. I feel like, I feel like, you know, I've heard a lot of creators that make long form YouTube content saying they like making shorts because making shorts, you know, it's, it's lower, it's, it's a little more editing and you need to be a little more finessed and a little more rigid, but in the end, it's easier to just crank out shorts than it is to do long form content because you don't have to deal with the storytelling. I mean, you do, but not to the same extent. You're still telling a story, but you're not telling, you know, a 20 minute story. You're telling a 60 second story. Well, it's always interesting. That's, that's not even what I would consider short form content. I mean, that's at this point, if you're making a reel that's telling a story and you've got, between 58 and 90 seconds of content in there i'm considering that middle range content at this point because you see a lot of reels that are eight seconds long Mm -hmm. and i mean one of the most popular things i've posted in the last two weeks was an eight second clip where i put the head on one of my mallets and that that I had the handle and I had the head and I put the head on it and I gave it a spin and it went around like a couple times and stopped. And it was like seven and a half seconds. And I think I've got more views on that. I think it was, 11, last time I checked, it was eight or 10,000. 11.1 thousand views on that one. <laughs> and it's because everybody watches the entire thing and because they watch it more than once. Therefore, mm-hmm. it gets the oomph. Because those are those are some of the things people are looking at mm-hmm. for the algorithm is do people swipe off of it before the content is over? In which case, that's a down vote for the algorithm. And if, if you watch the entire thing, that's an upvote. The longer you watch it, the more that's an upvote. And if you watch it go around twice, that's an even bigger upvote. And if you interact with it, that as well, too. So... Sometimes having a seven second video clip that has no story, no point. It's just a here, watch this quick little clip of something that gets the view. Most people can manage to watch an entire seven second video without swiping it. Sure. Even if you're bored halfway through, by the time your finger gets there, it's over. It's over. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny. It's funny because you've been pretty and I don't think I'm speaking out of school here when I say this, but you've been pretty honest about your overall emotions, about how weird it is. You know, the things when you put a lot of effort in, you don't feel like they get the pop that you would like them to get. And then you'll do something like that. Or you had the Chomposaurus just chomping on stuff and that was popping off like every time Chomposaurus chomped on something, it popped off. And I'm looking at the your reels, your reels page. And I see the two reels you did about the skull lamp, which absolutely. And guys, if you haven't seen this video and I've mentioned it a few times, I mentioned, I think it was last week that I mentioned it when I was reading off the financial supporters of the show, that skull lamp that you made is one of the coolest damn things you've ever made. And you've made some incredible stuff just since I've known you, but that skull lamp is absolutely stunning. I showed it to Kathy's cousin. Because you had kind of finished it and put up the the reveal reel. And she's not a maker by any stretch of the imagination. And even she looked at it and she just said, holy shit, that's cool. 
right? And to get a holy shit out of a pedestrian or a civilian is like, whoa, like another maker going, because I know what's involved in you making that. I watched you come up with the design. You showed me, you know, auto, not AutoCAD, Fusion 360 screenshots as you were designing it. And seeing the finished product, it's just like, this thing is absolutely spectacular. But then what's what's your number one reel is you spinning the head onto a handle, not the beautiful reveal of this incredible piece of art that you created. It's like, uh, it's no, fair. <laughs> I've, I've made a couple reels for that lamp. And uh, thank you for the way. Um, I'm glad you appreciate it. But I absolutely the, do. the couple reels I've made for that, they're, 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 they're stuck at like 500 or like 500 views or something like that. But, you know, I spin a mallet head and it gets, you know, 10, 11,000. So, you know, you had that one, you did have the one of the initial sculpt of the skulls. It got 120 some odd thousand um, plays, right. but that's the only one. The rest of them are all like around between a thousand and 3000, right? Which by the way, I'm not putting, that's better than any of my reels have ever done. So I'm not putting that down, but it's like, damn, the, the effort that goes into them is never proportional to the audience reception. It's no. so weird. It's the exact opposite of what you it, would expect. It's the opposite. And unfortunately, that creates the race to the bottom where we've got reels that are going viral of some jackass in his shop hammering a nail into a board, crooked and bending the shit out of it for 12 seconds and somehow <laughs> this got 12 million views and yet somebody can spend 50 hours over the course of six weeks making the most complicated thing they've ever seen and it gets a thousand views you know peeling 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 wood glue off of the rockler silicone mat is such a thing and it's like, and I know it's satisfying. I get it because I like it too. Like I, when everybody, every woodworker that works with wood glue, when you peel your silicone mat and you peel that one big sheet of glue with the bumps in it, like it's satisfying as hell. I mean, we're not trying to say it's not satisfying, but damn, it's like everyone watches those videos and nobody watches, nobody's watching art, like actual like art and artistic effort. It's so sad almost. Well. It's it's almost like they're catering to the lowest common denominator for views to keep them addicted to the platform. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The, I don't know. The social networks have all gone in the same exact direction. And apparently it's intentional that they all follow the same path. Uh, I read an article and I'm going to give credit to this to uh, the Grant Alexander who shared this link. There's an article called something to the effect of the in of social media apps. That's a great term for it. <laughs> and it describes that there's a, a laid out plan for how social media works and in stage one they make it as appealing to the users as possible they offer very few ads they offer tons of new features lots of cool shiny things and 
awesome ways for you to come in and share content and create community. Most importantly, they want you to create a community. Stage one is all about attracting millions and millions of users and addicting them, importantly, to to the system, to your platform. Once you have the user base addicted, they're, they're addicted to their community. They've built friends and communities, and they're stuck to this platform by their communities. Then stage two comes on, and stage two is they appeal to the advertisers, and they say, look, we've got 18 bajillion users. We can categorize them because we know everything about them. You can market to the people you specifically want. We've got nice, cheap ads, tons of views. The world's your oyster. Come on in. And they attract the ads to come in. And then they get them hooked on good advertisements and good advertising base and tools and low prices. And then they get them hooked and addicted as well. Once the users are addicted and the advertisers are addicted, then we move on to phase three, which is make the shareholders happy by cranking up the number of ads on the page and cranking up the prices of the ads to the poor advertisers whose business model is now dependent upon advertising on this platform. They crank up the prices, they crank up the number of ads, and they inshitify the entire platform for the users and the advertisers to the end benefit of the shareholders, which was the entire plan from square one. That's wild. And it's actually, you can you can map that out across any number of platforms right now, and that is exactly how it's gone down. That is crazy. That's nuts. I... You know, I was a hell of an article. It was a hell of an article. And we are absolutely in phase three of most social networks at this point. It feels that way. It totally feels that way. There has been, I've, you know, it's funny because there was a time where, you know, the social networks in general, and I'll just speak of them generally, you know, not, it's always been one or the other or all three or whatever. But there was a time where if I didn't use them, I felt like I was missing out. I felt like they were my lifeline. I felt like now it's like, I don't, I almost don't want to like, if I'm, if I'm, I can unplug from social networks much more easily than I used to be able to. I think in the effort to shove more of the stuff I don't want in front of me, they've actually made me realize like, well, I don't want this. You know, it's weird because the algo will show you. I, I, I was doing this experiment with, you know, anyone, anyone remember threads, <laughs> but I was doing this experiment with threads when I first got into threads and it, the, for the first two weeks, threads was amazing because it was everybody I followed. It was my people. And I would go there. It was like Twitter, but without the toxicity and without the craziness, but it was all the people I wanted to see. And without the algorithmic feed, which was amazing. It was everyone. Very quickly, it got to a point where I wasn't literally seeing anyone that I followed. And I did a reel that I posted, or I think I posted it in my stories or maybe on the Discord. I don't remember. I posted it somewhere. I know I showed it to you. I was like, look, this is what my threads look like. I'm not lying. Here's how long I have to scroll to see someone I'm following. And it was a post from the day ago. So it wasn't like it was 
two weeks old at the time. And I realized at that point, I was like, I just don't like threads that much. Like, and I don't like it because they're not showing me what I want to see anyway. They think they know what I want to see. So they're showing me a million different things that they think I want to see. Meanwhile, I'm signaling, I want to see my people. I follow these people. And then they well, finally added a following page. And that's where I just go by default now. That was that was a failure on their part to achieve stage one of addicting the user by yeah. giving them what they want. Yes. And then and then waiting until they're addicted to take that away. Yes. They they, they didn't get they, to the addiction phase before they, they started that, taking away what that, made it that attractive. Fishing mistake where when you feel the first nibble, you yank on the line, but they don't have mm-hmm. it in their mouth yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fishing person, but I mean, I've, I, I've done it, <laughs> but that's, I'm not that's a fishing they person did. either. They, so they did, they, they did the yank the hook out before you quite had your mouth around it and yeah. uh, they, they lost you. But yeah. uh, that's, I haven't been know, back. I don't even have the app on my phone anymore because it's just like, I don't, I don't want this. Like I checked I in on threads too, and I'm looking at it now. I'm looking at my feed. There's nothing here. I, I open it occasionally, but I don't, really care too much and i was i was thinking about kind of getting into it and trying to develop a different kind of community there than i've already got on instagram but then Mm -hmm. then i started seeing threads posted on my instagram feed and i'm like no that's 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 not what i want you know you're not a goddamn peanut butter cup get your chocolate (laughs) out of my peanut butter you know (laughs) Wow, that's a commercial that about 20 people that are listening remember, by the way. I'm very proud of you for that one. I love old references like that. Oh, well, those those commercials were great where the 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 guy in the corner stumbles and bumps into the girl and he mm-hmm. jams his uh You got uh, your chocolate in my peanut butter. A Hershey bar into her yeah. Mm-hmm. Peanut butter I, The most fun I've had recently, the most fun I've had with a project recently. Um, and you did it also, uh, was Emmett's Treescape project for charity. Oh yeah. Uh, That was was super duper fun. I, and I was thinking about that, you know, as I think of how you and I are very different people, but we kind of went in directions that were very on brand for us. You did a Lego tree based on the traditional old school, like 1970s, early eighties Lego set ball tree um and i did i did a tree from 2-1 of super mario brothers and you did it by carving aluminum which was awesome and i did it by layering lasered pieces of mdf and then hand painting it because i'm obsessed with hand painting things now and it's really funny like how how many people did so many cool things for that project like seeing the final treescape and what people were handing in. I mean, I know there were some people who, and I don't want to insult anyone, but there were some people who kind of phoned it in a little bit. I won't name names or people, but there were people who phoned it in, but then there were people who just went way, way, way out there. And a lot of people kept it, you know, you doing your aluminum and experimentation, me doing something retro video game related, you know, it was very much like everybody found their little niche and then jumped into it wholeheartedly and made a tree. Just what yeah. is your interpretation of a trace? Those, those collaborations are really good. I I think they're great because they're 
there's a lower bar of entry than a challenge. Mm-hmm. If it's a challenge and you know it's a competition and you see your competition turning in, you know, a Statue of Liberty that you carved out a, a peanut with the drill bit or some shit, you know, then it's like, well, I can't compete with that. I'm not going to bother. But if it's a collaboration, then it's just like everybody needs to just do something that fits the theme that is on brand for you. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot lower bar. And I, I think it's a good way to get more participation than actually having it be a competition. But and, and it's so much fun to watch everybody do what their thing is. You know, I, of course I had to do something on the CNC and you did something video game related on <laughs> the laser. Yep. <laughs> and, and then, and then you've got the people who are actually geniuses that, you know, make pewter broccoli. Um, <laughs> that, one, that, that one takes it for me that I'm, that was, I that was did a that lot was of good right? work, but that one that that one was my winner on the whole treescape for me. That was the that was Lindsay, right? That did that. Yeah, that was yeah. that was Lindsay. She took she took a real piece of broccoli and created a mold from it and poured pewter into it, and then uh, made that into her tree. So it's a that's an actual piece of broccoli that was molded and pewtered. It's it's kind of wild. It's kind of wild, actually, when you see, you know, because you think about, oh, a tree. Well, we all know what a tree looks like. When we were a kid, we all drew them the same way. And you see what people's imagination is like, okay, I want to make it out of this material. What do I do? Like, how do I make this out of a material? How do I, how do I make something that looks like I thought about it? How do I put this together in a way that makes it interesting? And everyone just... I, it made me so happy seeing people just being their super creative selves doing wild stuff. I mean, I was enjoying like crazy watching yours because I was a big Lego kid and watching yours like come together and just knowing what you were making. Like I knew it would take three seconds even seeing it being made to know what you were making. And it just felt like, God, this is why I love this community. Like seeing people show off their skill, like in a me, like, one of the things I love about the way he did it was he didn't say work in this medium. He said, make a right. tree, you know? And it's like, Oh, okay. So I work in the mediums I'm comfortable working in. So for me, it was lasered MDF. Like that's, I love working in lasered MDF. It's one of my favorite things to work with. I have a very yeah. large supply of MDF sitting right on the other side of that wall back there. Um, that actually is stored in the kitchen. Cause I literally have no place else to put it, but it's like, it's, it's just, like seeing you working in aluminum after and it's funny because that was the second collab you used aluminum for i was like hey, he's just getting yeah. really good with aluminum now <laughs> like aluminum yeah i did i did aluminum on the chest set too mm-hmm. um and made an epic 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 dragon type well that knife. was a fun one and 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 that was fun because i hadn't cnc'd aluminum before and mm-hmm. it was also fun because I just got a resin printer when I was in the middle of that project. And then I decided to print pieces of resin that fit and mated to the pieces that I'd carved on the CNC. And, uh, that was, that was kind of fun. That was, that was epic. Honestly, I love, 
very rare that I actually involve my 3D printer in any of my real makery processes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've mostly printed, you know, widgets. I love I love how quickly you took to resin 3D printing because it took me way too long to kind of get comfortable with resin 3D printing. And I still, as you call it, I love that you call it this, but I still prefer my plastic pooper because I know how that machine works inside out. I know what to expect. I know its tolerances. I know what it's capable of. I know what it's not capable of. I know like I can look at something on the screen and go, that's not going to work. I'll try it. Cause it, if it's a short commitment type thing, but you know, there, there was a recent project I worked on where it took multiple attempts to get something that would 3d print correctly. But I knew like I would send it to the printer and go, that's not going to print, but I want to see what the result, I want to see the tolerances. So I'm printing something I know is not going to work, but I don't want to see where it fails. So I know how to adjust for it. And I ended up completely changing direction, but you didn't seem to have that period with resin 3D printing. You kind of went, you hit the ground running like a crazy person. I don't understand well, it because it was a mystery to me. It's still kind of opaque. <laughs> I, I I, think you you had some failure in the initial setup to get things exactly I, where you needed for the zeros and the tolerances. I think that's part of it. I think, I think, I think you screwed it. something up so the machine wasn't doing what it was supposed to on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know. Apparently, I followed the instructions when I set it up, but uh, it just worked for me out of the box. And I just started, you know, downloading Thingiverse and printing out whatever tchotchkes my kid thought he wanted on his shelf next. So in fairness, the new 3D printer I got prints beautifully. Like, I'm really happy. It's oh, the yeah. frozen Sonic Mini 8K. It's a beautiful printer. It's it's legitimately one of the best 3d printers I've ever owned, but it's, there's something comfortable for me about even that recent project that I just finished that I can't talk about yet. Um, but knowing that I can just go to the plastic pooper and know that I'm going to get a piece that's exactly what I want. And with a little bit of, a little bit of sanding, a little bit of gesso and some paint, I got exactly the piece I want and no one would know it's 3d printed. Um, but yeah, well, I was hoping to get a bamboo this year, but that didn't happen. So I'm, I'm still filament free and, uh, that, that's a whole learning curve. I guess I'm not really looking at, I don't need it. So you don't I mean, need I'm it. not super excited about learning it cause I haven't found any reason I need it yet. And I, I don't know, maybe no, I'll get I- one eventually, but I totally understand. I totally understand. I, I The only reason, and look, I think part of it is I have a very good filament printer. If I didn't have a very good filament printer, I would buckle down and learn my resin printing better. Like I would be much more comfortable with it. But I have such a good filament printer that, and I was even showing Kathy the other day, is like, watch, I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to put the card in. I'm going to hit print and I'm going to walk away from this machine. It'll print. And I don't have to think about it. I don't have, I check on it because I check on it because it's fun to watch, but I check on it just to make sure it's still on the bed. I know that that printer is going to print every time I turn it on. It's the most reliable piece of technology I have ever owned in my life for something that is generally not a terribly reliable piece of technology. That's a quite an accomplishment. Well, that's, that's what happens when you don't buy the cheap shitty ones or yeah. 
oh, get the latest thing that came out for free because you're going to pimp it on the internet. Yep. Yep. That, I that's see that a good a lot. way to get problems. I see that. I do see that a lot. I actually, it's really funny because now I'm starting, I saw that, um, you saw how Bamboo Labs came out with that little cantilever bed slinging. Um, basically, it's, um, I want to say it's 10 inch by 10 inch, but it's a tiny little single arm, no dual axis screws, everything kind of little printer. And I'm looking at this thing going, okay, for the price, it's not bad, but I can't wait to see everybody telling me this is the best printer ever because it's like it's bamboo and bamboo loves to send free stuff out to 3d printing influencers. And I don't know. I don't fault people that like the machines. I know they're good machines, but I also know that they have spent an inordinate amount of money putting free machines in the hands of influencers to get them to say nice things about them. I mean, it's anyone who tells me otherwise, I know you, I know we don't have to, you know, we don't have to say certain things, but I know, I know. And you're not biased at all by getting a free item. I know there's, (laughs) There's some people who you know you can trust their opinion when mm-hmm. they get something new. Even if they're telling you it's free, they're going to tell you it was free, but it's worth exactly what I paid for it. And then there's other people where you're not even sure. And if if you just don't know somebody and you know their integrity level, then you just don't believe any of the initial reviews that come out. You just I wait agree. until you, you wait until the review money is gone and they're complaining about the damn thing breaking down in six months. That's that's when you get the real information. I feel like the pre-release review are the ones that you almost exclusively have to huge grain of salt, if not completely disregard. Once it's out and it's on, it's a mass market product then I think you can actually listen to the reviews. I really am skeptical of every single review that comes out before a product now, because I have seen a lot of the bamboo reviewers that I saw when the, the carbon, when the carbon came out and everybody was raving about it. And it has a lot of really great features. It's an exciting printer. And what's funny is that it's core XY, which is not a new technology, but everybody's acting like they invented something new here, but okay, let's pretend it's something new, but everybody was super duper excited. And I've seen a lot of those same reviewers come back with their six months in look at it and go, yeah, this broke, this hasn't been fixed. The ringing when it prints is not amazing. You know, you can print at super high speeds, but the quality takes a bigger hit than it. I thought it did when I did my first review. And it's like, okay, like I don't fault people for figuring this stuff out down the line. I know there's pressure to get your reviews up. I know if they send you a printer there before it's released, they're probably giving you a, hey, this is drop dead day. This is the day you need to put your review up. I know all that. I understand it and I'm fine with it. But man, if I had bought based on one of those reviews, I would be really, really upset. And a lot of people, I'd be a lot upset, not only that I bought it, but I'd be upset with a lot of the people who I trusted to tell me that this was a good thing to buy. And then you end up finding out like, eh, eh, it's not any better than what's already out there. It's just got potential to be. <laughs> well, it's, it's nice to be on the crest of new technology and have the latest and greatest fantastic stuff at your fingertips. But mm-hmm. There's a there's a risk riding on that crest that you'll tumble over the edge and get washed over by the wave. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's 
a lot of new stuff doesn't work as well as they wanted it to. And a lot of times the stuff has been rushed out the door and then it turns out that you, the customer is actually a beta tester and you're finding out where the speed bumps are and then they're going to have to go back and fix things for everybody else later. So an early, early adoption's got its pros and cons. I mean, cool. I've got this fantastic thing. It does shit seven times faster than anybody else's. Mm -hmm. How important is that to me? And do I want to wait to make sure that it's going to make it six months before I buy one? Or do I need it to go really fast right now? Yeah, like and, I'm thinking about that right now because the Raspberry Pi 5 just came out. And I'm like, well, this is really cool. But then when you watch the reviews, it's like, well, this doesn't work yet. This doesn't work yet. This doesn't work yet. This doesn't work yet. But other than that, it's great. I'm like, I, do we know that that's going to work at some point? Like, is do we know that, that, you know, there's a lot of apps that don't work on it because it's a complete change to the whole architecture of it. And it's great. It's super powerful. It's It's awesome. But at the same but, time, it's like, oh, do I really trust this to get to? I mean, I guess if it's the open source community. Eventually it will, but still it's not there. And it's like, okay, well. Is it, is it so much better than the last version yes. that yeah. you need oh, to have yeah. one now when it might not work up to its full potential? Depends on what people are using it for. So what I've seen and the thing I've seen the biggest improvement with, and this is the thing most people use Raspberry Pis for, dirty little secret, is emulation. Like old school emulation, like putting either RetroPie or Botocera or one of those on it. And right. a lot of the emulators aren't written for it yet. And even the ones that aren't are as fast as they were on the four. And they haven't even figured out the new GPU yet. And they haven't started like um, Vulkan doesn't work on it yet. Once Vulkan does, like all the Nintendo emulators, Dolphin in particular, it's going to run like like hell. Like it's going to be incredible on this thing. Like it's it's tolerable now. It's just buggy. But when they get that figured out, it's going to be amazing. But right now, it doesn't do anything. And, you know, there's other apps that may never come out because they're old apps. You know, people do open source. They put something out in the community and they're like, have it. Goodbye. See you later. And it just sits there and dies in the community if nobody picks it up and updates it later on. So I want one. (laughs) I want one. I actually have to build. I actually have to build one of those for somebody. They asked me if I could build them like a retro a proper retro thing with loaded up with a couple of ROM sets for them. And I'm kind of excited because I haven't done one of those in a really long time. So it'll be fun. <laughs> I still have an Xbox that does that. Yeah, for now. <laughs> well, actually, no, you, your Xbox will do that forever. Cause you're not, do you see how much they're pushing? All these companies are pushing to just kill emulation. Like they really don't like emulation. It's getting more and more ridiculous. Well, you can't take the ROMs back off my server. Sorry. Nope. Nope. And that's why as soon as once I found a place, I hate to say it, you know, maybe I'm outing myself here, but I found a place that had ROM sets for all the systems I wanted. I spent three or four days just downloading ROM sets. It's like, you know what? You can take them off the internet everywhere. I still have them all. Like Kathy wanted to play Astro Blast for the Atari 2600. And I just went into my Atari 2600 ROM set, pulled out Astro Blast and installed it on the handheld. And she was playing Astro Blast 20 minutes later. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, I wouldn't give that up for anything in the world right now. I mean, that's that's one of those interesting corners of piracy where you have to wonder who's actually, I mean, a lot of times in piracy, 
the pirates are just in the wrong. I mean, plain and mm-hmm. simple. Let's just say, you know, stealing the movie and stealing the music is wrong. You're stealing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop us from doing it. But I mean, at least we know that's wrong. But the question on emulation is, is if it's not available for me to purchase Correct. anywhere legally, then who are you to tell me I can't get a free copy because you won't sell it to me. If you're refusing to put that product somewhere that I can pay for it, then who are you to tell me I can't just go get it from wherever it is actually available? I mean, I have, and I'm just, you know, just putting this out there. I have gone out and bought like, okay, so Nintendo Switch. I don't, do you have, you, do, do you or the kids have a, you must have a Switch in that, in that yeah, house. Yeah, we've got two even? Switches. I, I asked that question. I'm like, no, what are you, an idiot? Of course they have a Switch. But like, I pay for Nintendo Switch online mostly for the old games. I mean, I rarely ever use the online functionality. I play it mostly for the old games. And I have those old games, but I feel like, okay, this is my way of saying, hey, you made these available. Let me support that for a couple of bucks a year. It's worth it to me to say, hey, I like this. Keep doing more of this. I want more of this. You know, Atari came out with the flashback gold last year and John from Gen X grown up reviewed it. And as soon as he did the review, I jumped on Amazon and bought one. Do I need an Atari 2600 console that I hook up to my TV that plays fewer games than I have in my ROM set? No. Do I want one? Maybe because it looks kind of cool. Do I think it's a good thing that when Atari comes out with a system like this, you go, thank you for doing this. Let me buy this silly little thing that's probably extraneous to my life because I want to encourage you to do this more often. And I think that's kind of where Nintendo has always been wrong. And they're finally, I think, realizing that they were wrong because now they're making their older stuff available on their own platforms. And I have a feeling that the next platform, the next switch is going to be way more retro friendly than the current switch. I have a feeling that they're going to pretty much seal up all the systems into that switch with Nintendo switch online. And they'll make that $50 a year, a lot more worth it. But well, I don't see any reason why they won't sell us NES games, super NES games, uh, I'd buy them again. N64 games. I mean, I don't I don't know why they won't sell us versions of these games. I mean, it's not like we haven't paid for these things seven freaking times already. Is I mean, I, I was buying bundled NES games on my Super NES. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many copies of Mario I've bought on how many different platforms from different directions, but... When I went to RetroCon, when I went to RetroCon, one of my shopping list items in my head that I wanted to get was a copy of Pokemon Red for the original Game Boy. I wanted a copy of a physical copy because I do want to get, and I haven't gotten it yet, but I do want to get a Game Boy Color and do the IPS mod on it. I actually have the mod kit. I just haven't, I sold the Game Boy Color that I bought to do it on. So I got to get a new Game Boy Color, but I'm going to do the IPS mod kit to have a nice screen and play it on original hardware. But I paid $60 for that damn game. Now, I know that it's worth $60 because that's the market price where it's $50 to $60. So I don't mind that I paid $60 for it. But yeah, Nintendo, I paid $60 for my second copy of that game so that I could play it on original hardware because you don't make it available. <laughs> it's like, like, just sell it to me. God, just sell it to me, please. I'm begging you. Sell Here, take my money, <laughs> you know? <laughs> A little bit I have, I want to spend on you, okay? <laughs> but 
yeah no i i love i i love that stuff i'm glad i'm, I'm kind of glad that you like it too because i feel like that's one of the things that we agree on the old stuff is still fun i mean it's not complicated but it's definitely fun to pick up old games once in a while like i like yeah. that you're into it too well i mean a lot of it's nostalgia for old people that mm -hmm. played very primitive video games in their youth and like to go back and remember what that was like and try to have fun and something that the graphics don't even look like what they're supposed to be mm -hmm. you know it's also it's always kind of cool when you pick up an old game that you really struggled with and now you're just good at it because you're older and it's like, oh, wow, it really was. I wasn't bad at this. I was just too young. <laughs> you know, like well, I picked up, I picked up a couple of games on the I was playing a couple of games on Switch Online. I was like, wow, I remember this game being a lot harder. <laughs> it can go both ways, too, because may, maybe you put a lot, a lot of time and effort into a game back in the day and you, you, mm. you put hours and hours and hours into it and it's been 20 years and you've lost your touch and that game is no longer as easy to beat as it was 25 <laughs> years ago. I've been getting my ass whipped in Tekken really bad. And I'm like, I used to be so damn good at this game and I can't do any, I cannot beat the computer anymore in Tekken, which is very, very sad for me because that was one of my games and Tekken and Tekken two. I just get my ass handed to me on a regular basis with both of them. It's like, damn it. Uh where will that skill go? I, I've been half decent and stuff at a lot of different games, but I think one of the few things, especially in the, uh, if we leave consoles and go to arcade, one of the few mm. things I've ever done that I considered that I beat the game. And it's a game that doesn't have an end, but I beat it because I could play as long as I wanted on one quarter. And that's Gauntlet with the Wizard. I love Gauntlet. The original Gauntlet. I could put a quarter in and play for literally hours and hours. And I could walk away and go to the bathroom and come back. He's still alive and waiting because I had so much food. It is. Um, it, that's a classic. That's a classic. That was that. Was that and then later on. Well, that was what made that today. game. What's that? But I couldn't do it today. You might be able to. You'd probably be pretty good at it today, because that was a that was a really that was a fast mover though. You, you had to have twitchy reflexes for that game. It was the same. I have the same opinion of Berserk that you have of Gauntlet. Like I was really good at Berserk as a kid. Like really good. Like I would want. I would go through level after level, and I would just keep doing boom, boom, boom. Like they would just go quick. And now it's like I play it, and it's like, oh wow. Yeah, you used to be good at this. You don't have those reflexes anymore. <laughs> that those short twitch muscles ain't what they used to be. No, but they've stretched out. They stretched out a bit. Um, I'm going to take a second. We are an hour and twenty in. I didn't even realize this. this was like we had no plan going into this, and we just talk. I knew Jeff and I could just chat because we pretty much chat every day anyway. But um, well, when I'm not being a crappy friend anyway. Um, I did ask for a list of questions before the show, but I never got them. So I guess we just had to wing it. <laughs> we just had to wing it. <laughs> I want to take a second to thank the people that support the show financially. And those people include best man, Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Scott Orham from Dad It Yourself DIY, Ed Swanson from Ed's Clocks and more, Nick Birchtold of Birchtold Design Build, Tori Decker of Tori Did It, Jake Drews of Make With Jake, Megan Chris from Onyx Design Woodwork, 
Christian Neary from Warren Works, Ken Madden of Mad K Studios, David Wood of DW Wood Builds, Dean Duplantis, Chris Raley of Route 9 Signs, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. a weird guy. Look at that. Um, Kim and Garrett from Kim and Garrett Make It, Rory Langefeld of RLO Woodworks and DIY, Robert J. Keller, Brian Arsenault, The Seven Hills Maker, Dave Bauer from Dave Bauer Art, Donald LeBlanc of Fun with Woodworking, Ross Cave, Jeremy Spies, Grant Alexander from The Clamp Podcast, Brad Harrison of Brad's Customs, Billy Poulton of Poulton Projects, Eric Peterson of Overall Maker Works, and Earl Van Alstein. Thank you so much for supporting the show financially. I really appreciate it, and it means the absolute world to me. And I hope you will continue because I plan on continuing the show for a very long time. If you can't support the show financially, that's cool too. Feel free to leave a review, share the show, tell someone about it. It's on YouTube every week. It's very easy to share from there. I know that audio podcasts are a little trickier to share, but the YouTube version of the show is super easy to share. And I do appreciate all you psychopaths that show send me pictures of my face on your TVs and tablets so that you could get those watch watch hours up. That means a lot to me because the watch hours are definitely higher than they used to be. And I can totally attribute that to all you crazy bastards sitting there watching the show every single week. And I really, really do appreciate that. Jeff, it has been an absolute hoot having you on. I love talking to you. I love the stuff you're doing. I, I, you know, Al and I talk about you all the time and it's one of those situations where how do you not have like 3 million people hanging on everything that you produce? And maybe this is me, you know, maybe it's just, we get you on here and we introduce you to a million new people. So who knows? But I, I really do love your stuff. I think you do amazing, incredible stuff. You're always stretching the limits and blowing our minds. And I hope you, I hope you keep doing it. I hope you keep doing it because it's, it's fun to watch someone who's always you're actually challenging yourself and it's much appreciated by the little people like us. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you being a friend and I appreciate all the fantastic things you say about my work. So thank you for all of that. And, uh, I, I think you need to keep working on your community and, uh, making this your world, man. Yep, and that's why that's why there's a Discord server now, and it's got it's pretty active. I'm pretty happy with how active it is already, and it's only going to get better. So, if you like chatting with us and you want to chat with Jeff, because Jeff is in there regularly, I'm in there regularly. Um, we have a bunch of the people that support the show financially are in there regularly. Just jump onto Discord. The link is in the show notes to join the Discord, and you can chat with us. Like literally, just come in and chat with us. We're we have a lot of fun in there. We talk about all kinds of stuff. There's projects that I cannot talk about on this show that I have shown in that Discord. So it's it's kind of cool. It's like almost like behind the scenes. It's like peeling back the kimono. There's a reference to Because We Make That Most People Forgot. <laughs> um, that's going to do it for this week. I will be back again next week. I am recording Wednesday night as we record this. It is October 2nd. I am recording October 4th with next week's guest. His name is Tom Silkknitter. And he has made one of the most incredible, and I mean incredible, replicas of the Back to the Future DeLorean that I have ever seen in my life. And we're going to have him on. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the new book that he has out about the process and how he got inspired to do it and what it's like being the owner of one of the most iconic cars in movie history. And you're not going to want to miss that. 
But I I have to ask why a guy with a time traveling DeLorean needed to reschedule his <laughs> podcast recording. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask him that. That's a great. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave it right there. That is a great thought to end this episode on. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back again next week, and I hope you will be too. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Bye.